Father God, please uh, help us to hear your word today um, as it's read to you. Thank you that the Bible is uh, the way that you speak to us. Um, Please open our hearts um, and our minds to hear what you have to share with us today. Amen. All right, let's read together. Um, They came to Bethesda and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, Don't even go into the village. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do the people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. When Jesus turned and looked at the disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have the mind oh, sorry. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called a crowd um, called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them um, when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death, death before they see the kingdom of God has come to power, or come with power. Well, thank you, Annika. Let me encourage you to keep that part of the Bible open in front of you. That will be helpful as we go through. Uh, I don't know about you, but I kind of feel like it's that time of year where you sort of take a breath and go, wow, okay, we're in April, Uh, April 2nd, Easter next week. Uh, Hasn't a year flown by, but uh, it's good, it's good. You know, we're into another year, things have gotten going. Uh, I wonder how your year has been so far. In my family, it's been quite a year of change this year. Uh, as most of you know, my work looks a bit different this year. Uh, our daughter Lucy started kindy, Eleanor started childcare, uh, Annika's work hours a little bit different as well, so there's a whole new routine change all around. Uh, and I know that for some of you, 2023 has been a big year of change as well. Uh, perhaps, perhaps that's not the case for you, maybe, maybe this year for you is a bit more of the same, but uh, life does have uh, those moments, doesn't it? Those moments of significant change, those turning points, those crossroads where you can sort of uh, you can sort of go one way or you can go the other uh, moments that you'll look back on later and think uh, wow that was a big decision <laughs> that was a big uh, big change moment I wonder if you can think back to some of those sorts of moments in your life uh, often it can be traced back to a question you could get asked a question like uh, will you accept this job uh, and perhaps that could be the job that you end up working in for 10 20 30 years uh, what will you study at uni or TAFE a uh, big crossroads moment that can end up having quite a big impact uh, on the rest of your life. Will you go out with me? Will you marry me? 
how you answer a question like that can have lifelong implications. Uh, will you live here? Will you live there? Will you join this group? Will you volunteer in this role? I, I'm sure we can all think of a few of those sorts of moments where we've had to answer those sorts of questions. And how we answer those sorts of questions, it can end up shaping large portions of our life. They're the crossroads sorts of moments, the turning points. Uh, well, today we have reached a turning point in the book of Mark, a crossroads. Uh, The book of Mark, really it's in two acts, there's Act 1, Act 2. Today we come to the end of our series for now, the end of Act 1, and we'll see today that we've come to the climax of really everything we've been looking at uh, this term so far. Everything we've been really looking at uh, this term has to do with uh, two questions, we've been circling around these two questions again and again and again. Who is Jesus and what has he come to do? Who is Jesus and what has he come to do? And today, those two questions come to a head. The answers to those questions are revealed openly. It's kind of like that twist in a novel where you kind of get to that bit where suddenly all the secrets are out in the open. You know what's really going on. We see who Jesus is. We see what Jesus has come to do. And it's a turning point because the answers to those two questions now go on to shape the whole rest of the book of Mark. But actually, more than that, it's more than a turning point for just the book of Mark. This is actually designed to be a potential turning point in life for us. This is actually designed to be one of those crossroads moments for us because it actually asks asks us questions that are right up there with those questions like, will you marry me? Will you take this job? What course will you choose to do? Because the way we ask these questions that Mark has given us today, actually, the answers we give will have that sort of long-term impact on our lives. In fact, how we answer the questions Mark asks us today might very well change, not just the rest of our lives, but the rest of our eternities. So what are the questions the passage is asking us? Well, uh, here they are, the first two. Uh, They're those questions we've been circling around and again and again through Mark. Who is Jesus and what has he come to do? Who is Jesus and what has he come to do? But then, as we get the answer to those two questions, we're asked a new question as well. Will you be his disciple? And it's this new question that will go on to become the Big question for the whole second half of the book of Mark. But today, these are our three questions. Three questions to mark the turning point of the book of Mark. Three questions that, as we answer them, can actually mark a big turning point in our lives. Uh, We're going to step through each of these three questions today. So first, uh, the question, who is Jesus? Uh, Who is Jesus? Now, it's not by the way, as we've been reading through the book of Mark, it's not by the way that uh, we shouldn't already know the answer to this. Uh, Mark has been giving us lots of hints and clues through the book. There have been places where we should have been able to figure out by now who Jesus is. Um, and Mark has actually told us, he actually told us right in the very first verse of his book, that his book is, is the beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. So right from the start, we as a reader, we've been letting on the secret. We know who Jesus is. We know he's the Messiah, uh, God's Son. And there's a few other times as well, God declared Jesus to be his son when Jesus was baptized. There's a few times when demons, uh, they know who Jesus is and Jesus a couple of times tells them to be quiet because he doesn't want uh, the secret to get out too early. Uh, But what we mustn't miss is we get to this middle point in the book of Mark and no human has yet figured out who Jesus is. No human character has yet worked out who this Jesus is. They know he does miracles, Uh, they know that He teaches amazing things. Um, Some people like the Syrophoenician woman from last week have sort of expressed a great faith in him, uh, but no one yet really has figured out who Jesus is. uh, uh, But now we get to the end of Act 1. It's the big climactic moment. Finally, Peter gets it right. 
Finally, Peter gets it right. Follow along with me in your Bibles, verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? This is the question. Who is Jesus? Who do people say I am? And this is kind of Jesus being a clever teacher. He doesn't go straight for the direct jugular question. He gets there a bit more slowly. First, he sort of asks the question in a bit more of an abstract way. You know, what do people think? You know, what's the word on the street? What are, who do people say I am? Verse 28, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. All these prophets who are meant to sort of prepare the people, get the people ready, uh, speak God's words. But Jesus has not come to prepare the way for someone else. No, he's actually the one they've been preparing for, and that's what Peter has finally figured out. Verse 29, what, what about you, said Jesus? Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. There it is. This is what everything in Mark has been leading to. This Jesus who's been working miracles and teaching and has authority over demons and authority over the natural world. Who is this guy? Well, he's the one. He's the Messiah. As with lots of questions in the book of Mark that come up and maybe questions that Jesus asks the disciples or questions that the characters in the story have, um, the questions that the characters in the story have they're not actually just for the characters in the story. They're questions for us, us as well. And just like Jesus has kind of started with a more general, broader question, uh, we could perhaps ask ourselves the question in that way too. For starters, we could say, you know, what is, what is Mark trying to show us about Jesus? What is Mark trying to show us about who Jesus is? Well, I think it's fairly clear. Mark is trying to show us that Jesus is the Messiah. But then like Jesus has done, we could bring it in a bit more uh, specifically. We could say, okay, well, so we as a church, who do we believe Jesus is? We believe Jesus is the Messiah. We sing to him. We worship him. This is what we believe. But then Mark would want us to bring it in even more specifically. Forget about what everyone else thinks. Who do I think Jesus is? Who do you think Jesus is? I had a, had a cup of coffee this week with um, a nice guy. He's new to Adelaide. Uh, he wanted some advice on where he could find a good church to go along to. Um, We had a nice conversation, I asked about his story Uh, through life, he's gone to some different Catholic churches, Uh, more recently he's gone to a few other churches as well, he sort of, he appreciates faith, he said, he appreciates spirituality, Um, he'd like to have a church to go along to that he could sort of um, express that side of himself, Um, and of course I was really happy to point him in the direction of some good churches, unfortunately he lives um, way across town and so I didn't didn't encourage him to come here, Uh, but after talking about churches... I kind of wanted to leave that aside and I was keen to talk to him a little bit about Jesus Uh, because you can enjoy being part of a church, you can respect faith and spirituality, but in the end, actually, just being part of a community isn't quite enough, is it? Just going to church with your parents and with your spouse and with your friends, it's good. Um, It's good to go to church. Church is a wonderful gift, Uh, but eventually we need to sort of, like Jesus has done, narrow the focus of our question and eventually we need to have an answer to this question ourselves. Okay, well, who do I really think Jesus is? Is he the Messiah or isn't he? The guy I was talking to during the week, we had a nice chat, didn't really especially land anywhere definitive on exactly who he thinks Jesus is. Um, hopefully we'll catch up again. And uh, This isn't a matter with everyone of saying, you know, you need to have an answer right now on the spot. Um, here in Mark, Jesus, of course, has spent months and months with his disciples by now, possibly a year or more, and they've seen him do miracles and they've heard his teaching. It's not like Jesus has just met them and said, you know, come follow me. And then five minutes later, he said, who am I? No, 
And maybe you are a, maybe you are a newer person at church, maybe you're here for the very first time, welcome. Uh, maybe you're still at a time when you're trying to figure Jesus out. And that's, that's good, this isn't necessarily a question you want to rush to have an answer to, it's good to explore, it's good to observe, it's good to listen to Jesus' teaching and kind of work out what you think of him. Uh, perhaps I could put it like this, perhaps, perhaps the question, who is Jesus, isn't the first question you need to answer. All through Mark, Jesus has been asking his disciples lots of other questions. Um, they've, they've answered lots of questions that they learn about him. Uh, but here in the middle of Mark, Jesus thinks it's now the time. Eventually, you do have to have an answer. <laughs> Might not be the first, first question to answer, but perhaps it is the most important. The, the crossroads question that will, uh, depending on how we'll answer it, it will shape the rest of our lives forever. Who do you think this Jesus is? Now, by the way, who is Jesus? I've said I don't think it's probably the first question we should ask. It's also not the last question we should ask. The book of Mark still has a whole second half to go. Um, After Peter's figured out the Messiah, the disciples still have lots to learn about what it means to follow Jesus. And we won't have any any more time to speak about it today, but um, in that reading that we've just had read out, uh, we started with that story of Jesus healing the blind man. Um, interestingly, I don't know if you picked up the detail, but this is the only healing that Jesus ever does that um, takes two goes, takes two tries. Um, you might say it happens in stages. Jesus first touches the man, asks, you know, can you see? And the man says, oh, well, yeah, I can kind of see pretty well, but everyone still looks like trees. Is this really all, all it was meant to be? But, um, you know, you kind of wonder, has Jesus like maybe not given him quite enough um, Holy Spirit power or something like that? Uh, did Jesus not do a good enough job the first time? Uh, But what's going on, I think, and I think all the commentators really agree on this, is that one of the things this healing has given us is a bit of a picture that points us to Jesus and the disciples. Okay, they can see who Jesus is now. now, they, they, They now see he's the Messiah, but they still can't see everything clearly. They see in part. They've still got lots more to learn. And Mark will have a lot more to say to us about what it means to be following Jesus, especially because so far I reckon, you know, I reckon Peter's excited that Jesus is the Messiah, excited because he thinks that he's going to be following Jesus onto victory, following Jesus onto power. And the next question we're going to look at really flips all of that on its head. It's the question, what has Jesus come to do? And shockingly, well, what has Jesus come to do? Well, as our passage now tells us, he's come to die. As soon as Peter had declared that Jesus is the Messiah, verse 31, Jesus then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. As we get to this climactic point in the first half of the book of Mark, there's an amazing high. He's the one, he's the Messiah but then you go straight into something shocking and unexpected. He's going to die. Today, as you know, we'll, uh, as many of you know, some of you will know it, it's Palm Sunday, uh, the day where traditionally we celebrate Jesus coming into Jerusalem a week before Easter, a week before he died. Uh, we're not especially talking about Palm Sunday today, but Palm Sunday is the end of this journey. Well, today in the passage we're looking at, this is the beginning. Jesus has shown who he is. Now he's going to be making that journey towards Jerusalem. He's going there to be rejected, to be killed. I think it'd be good for us to try and grasp just how unexpected and shocking this is. Um, Peter, as we read on, Peter begins to rebuke Jesus. Um, Peter is clearly just taken aback by what's happened. He's shocked. And I don't think we should be too surprised by that. He's just worked out that Jesus is the Messiah. The very last thing he would expect is that the Messiah is going to die. 
I, um, I gave you a footy illustration last week and I thought I'd give you another footy illustration this week. I'm um, actually right here on my notes that since Port won the showdown last night, I better give you another footy illustration. Um, but obviously I was a bit too confident during the week. Um, Port, Port has, has got a new player this year. Um, his name's Jason Horn Francis. He's sort of one of these players who's come with a lot of hype. He's a number one draft pick. Um, there's lots of excitement that he's joined the team. You could even say to Port fans, um, he is a little bit of a messiah sort of character. Um, come to maybe finally deliver that premiership that we've been waiting for for uh, many, many years. Many, many years. Um, imagine if, um, imagine if uh, this player, Horn Francis, imagine if on the first day of, uh, at the club he was interviewed by the media. Imagine if they said, Jason, you know, what do you hope to achieve this year? What, are you, what is your goal for the year? Um, imagine if you know, this, this, this new player, this much-hyped player, this uh, messiah, imagine if he said, well, my goal for the, for the year is for us to lose every game of the season. No, that's not what we want. That's not why you've come to the team. No, we, we don't want you to lose. We want the Crows to lose. What are you talking about? You've got, the, you've got the wrong team. This is the sort of confusion that Peter would have about what Jesus is saying. This is the Messiah. The Messiah doesn't die. He wins. That's the whole point of being the Messiah. It's shocking. Peter would have grown up hearing that the Messiah is going to be God's ultimate king, God's forever king like one of those great kings of Israel, only more so. And those great kings, well, they won battles. They defeated enemies. They lived long lives. They didn't die. That's what the people were expecting. That's what Old Testament prophecy had led them to expect. And we do know that the Old Testament talks about uh, this, this suffering servant character, and it does talk at a few points about someone who might give up their life for sin and be pierced for our transgressions. But really, there's no evidence at all that the Israelites ever kind of connected that idea to the idea of the Messiah. So I think Peter's reaction is totally expected. It's totally reasonable. And the news that the Messiah would die is shocking. Although, of course, as we've been reading through Mark, there have been hints, I think. We know Jesus has been talking about coming to deal with sin. We know he's been coming to uh, help us, make us clean. But until now, we haven't really got the answer to the question, exactly how is that going to happen? How can Jesus say that sins are going to be forgiven? And this is why Jesus says what he does. He says the Son of Man must suffer many things. The Son of Man must be killed. He, he makes it clear that this has to happen. Why does he say this? Why does he say that he has to die? Well, some would say that Jesus ends up going off to the cross, mainly as a good example for us, an example of loving sacrifice. And it is, it is true that the cross is an example of sacrificial love. That is, that is accurate. Uh, but it's going to be more than that because, well, to put it this way, if I, if I was to say that I wanted to do something really loving for you know, the people who were close to me, well, actually, um, yeah, this, this is a bit morbid, I apologise, but just dying pointlessly is not actually a good example of a loving thing to do, is it? So it's got to be more than that. It's got to be about more than just an example. Why does Jesus say he must die? Why is that necessary? I think there's two big reasons. One, we've seen all through Mark that Jesus has come to forgive sins. Jesus must die because this is how that forgiveness is going to come about. God is a God of justice. He's a good judge. He can't just turn and pretend that evil isn't evil or that wrongdoings never happened. A penalty must be paid for that sin. And so Jesus must die because in Jesus' death, that penalty is paid. As Jesus will say in a chapter or so after this, he came to give his life as a ransom for many. In his death, our ransom is paid, our penalty is paid, and we can be forgiven. 
It was necessary for our forgiveness. But uh, second reason, this is a little less obvious, uh, but Jesus' death is necessary to defeat Satan. I just, you know, notice, notice this bit, you know, Jesus, uh, Peter rebukes Jesus and then, and then Jesus says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. Don't you, doesn't that strike you as bizarre or harsh? I mean, has Peter really said anything so bad to be called Satan? Like, isn't that a bit over the top? Uh, but see, what this is, this isn't Jesus just calling Peter names, like teasing him or anything like that. What, what Jesus knows is that what Peter here is saying is very much in line with what Satan would love to see happen. Because Satan knows that if Jesus dies, there's no way anyone can be forgiven. Sorry, if Jesus doesn't die, there's no way anyone can be forgiven. Satan knows that if Jesus doesn't die, then he can say fairly and truthfully that the good judge must judge people guilty. So the very thing Satan would like the most would be for Jesus to stay away from the cross. But you see, Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is going to go to Jerusalem and have a great victory over his enemies. It's just that it's not the Romans he's going to defeat. It's not the throne he's going to sit on. It's Satan and sin that he's going to have victory over. And the twist, he's not going to win the victory with a great battle and sitting on that throne. He's going to win this great victory through his death and by hanging on a cross. It's in his death that we're going to see the very thing the Messiah has come to do. He's come to save his people, bring forgiveness and see the enemy vanquished. And it's his death that achieves that. Who is Jesus? He's the Messiah. What has he come to do? Well, he's come to die. He has to die. Because in doing so, he's going to bring victory. Now, Falio, we can just chuck these questions back up again. This leaves us with one more question. Who is Jesus, the Messiah? What has he come to do? He's, he's come to die for forgiveness of sins. The third question it leaves us then with, will you be his disciple? Will you follow him? If we just had that uh, point number one, uh, question number three would be a pretty easy one, actually, wouldn't it? Follow the Messiah, of course, you know. But follow the Messiah who's going to die? Well, that makes it a little bit harder, doesn't it? I imagine the disciples at this point, they think they're onto a great thing. They think they're following the Messiah. They think they're going to, uh, this is going to be great. There's no way we can lose. We're going to go in and enjoy a great victory. But now they hear that Jesus is going to die. It reminds me a little bit of that scene in the movie Lord of the Rings when they realize they all have to take the ring to Mordor. And one guy, you know, that, that one guy goes, you know, one does not simply walk into Mordor. They realize that this is a quest that could well cost their lives. And yet in the movie, they still decide they're going to go. One says, you have my bow, you have my axe, you have my sword. Let's do this. This is a bit like what Jesus calls us to. Verse 34, Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple, he uses the word whoever, he's talking generally, he's talking to us as well. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. The book of Mark was probably written to, uh, to Roman Christians, probably around the time of Emperor Nero, uh, maybe just afterwards. So these words that we're reading, they were written into a context where being put on a cross for your faith was not just a hypothetical expression. They would have taken this very seriously, very literally. 
the original readers of Mark, they would have understood that following Jesus, well, it could well, very well be something that could lead to great suffering, could very well uh, cost someone even their life. Now, we, we live here in Adelaide 2023. We live a long way away from that and we can be thankful that um, it's very unlikely that being a Christian would cause um, us any physical harm in, uh, in, in, in the place where we're in. Uh, we can be happy that, you know, that's not what it looks like to be a Christian for us. Uh, maybe we actually have a danger on the opposite end. You know, for many of us in the West, uh, being a Christian doesn't cost us that much at all. Um, and actually, <laughs> this is why in the West we can have preachers who get away with saying things like, God wants to fill our lives with blessing and if we follow Jesus, you know, he'll give us an easy life and he'll give us that money and he'll give us those um, rich, rich blessings and you know, we just have to name and claim what we want. He wants to bless us. He'll give us everything we ask for. He wants to give us that house and that health. And sometimes you even hear Christians saying it feels like God has let us down because we don't have maybe all of those things. But Jesus hasn't promised a life of prosperity, has he? His way is the way of the cross. Uh, we must be careful not to listen to those Christian teachers who would tell you that following Jesus means having an easy life. Uh, Peter came to Jesus with that kind of thinking and, well, Jesus called him Satan, didn't he? If anything, Christianity doesn't lessen our suffering. It means more suffering. And, you know, even here in Australia, 2023, following Jesus still does come with a cost, doesn't it? It does cost us things. Maybe our lives aren't in danger, but um, for some of us, I know being a Christian will mean that we have strained relationships, maybe um, broken relationships with friends or family. It should be nice sometimes, wouldn't it, just to forget the whole Jesus thing and just make those relationships a little bit easier. Or maybe, uh, you know, maybe this seems like a small thing, but lots of us are tired in our community. It should be nice to go to sleep in every Sunday. It should be nice not to have responsibilities at church, not to have to serve God's people. You know, I set up people, I'm sure I set up people don't um, get to Saturday night and, and you know, check, check our little app to see if they're on set up and think, fantastic, I'm on set up early morning tomorrow. Maybe some of them do love doing that. I know they love to serve uh, Jesus and love serving his people, but it is, there is a cost with this stuff. And there's a, there's a financial cost, you know, it should be nice to have a little bit of extra income, not have so many churches and ministries to support. For some, there's a career cost. For some, the cost might be Choosing to love people when you're not really feeling it so much, that's not always easy. And look, perspective is probably helpful. You know, there are many, many harder places in the world to be a Christian than Australia. Um, but there's still a cost. It's not always easy. And so this truth that Jesus gives us is very helpful. Verse 35, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. And what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Jesus is kind of saying, if you have a miserable life, you just give up everything, you don't have any money, no wealth, no prosperity, none of your relationships have worked out well, and you suffer, and your life's miserable, and you get to 55 and you drop dead. But if you still have Jesus, well, you've still got everything. You've won your soul. And on the other hand, you can have that perfect, idealized kind of life. Live to 95, lots of kids, grandkids, wealth, you know, you've traveled all over the world, powerful life, maybe you've done some amazing things, you've had a great impact on the world, but die without Jesus. You're left with nothing, worse than nothing. What good is it to gain the whole world but forfeit your soul? 
this is a challenging truth, isn't it? I think uh, this is a passage that makes us pause and check ourselves. You know, we should go back to those first two questions and think, you know, I, I know lots of us in the room would have asked those first two, answered those first two questions a long time ago. You think, yes, of course, I know Jesus is the Messiah. And yes, of course, I know Jesus came to die. I've been going to Easter services for 50 years. But I think this passage makes us pause and ask it again. Do I? Do I know who Jesus is? Do I still believe what I think I believe? You know, we've come, we've come through it this term. I've seen Jesus. I've seen his miracles. I've heard his teaching. As I see who he is and as I see the path that he leads us on, well, is that something I'm, I'm on board with? Has that decision shaped my life as it should have? Has that been the crossroads moment that's made a big difference for me? Has it changed me? Am I following the way of Jesus? Can I follow this way of the cross? Can I go on that quest to take the ring to Mordor? You could ask. I like that quest, Lord of the Ringsy kind of idea a little bit because it's, um, it reminds us that it, this isn't a masochist way of looking at life. This isn't like, let's go and find suffering for suffering's sake. Um, this is an adventure. It's a journey. There are lots of times when I watch Lord of the Rings and I think, that would be awesome. I wish I was in the movie. Like amazing scenery, hiking with friends, second breakfasts. But eventually the battles do come and the characters are very aware of the cost. For some of them, it does end up costing their lives. But we don't follow Jesus because we love to make our lives hard or we enjoy pain. Even Jesus didn't go looking for suffering for the sake of it. Hebrews said that Jesus says that Jesus endured the cross and he did it for the joy set before him. He endured the cross for what was on the other side. He endured the cross because of the resurrection. He endured the cross to get the crown. And that's why we follow him as well. We follow him because we believe he's the king. We give our lives to him because in doing so, we get to be part of his eternal kingdom. We know that the story we're a part of has a happy ending. His kingdom will reign forever. And so there's such great joy in following Jesus, so much hope in following Jesus. But at the same time, as we set out along this road, this way of the cross, we do still know it's a road where suffering very well may come. We deny ourselves, but we get to follow him. We lose our life, but we get to save it. We give up the world, but we gain our souls. The only question really is to go back to that first question again. Who is Jesus? Is he the Messiah? And if he is, well, will you follow him, whatever the cost? How about I pray for his help as we go about doing that? Our Father God, we thank you for this book of Mark. We thank you for what it's shown us today about Jesus. Fill us today with confidence to know that he is who he said he is. He is the Messiah. Be with those of us who are still wrestling with that question, trying to figure out who he is. And as we see that truth, see who he is, give us the courage to follow him, whatever the cost. Our lives are yours, King Jesus. And so we pray today in his name. Amen.